This morning at the beginning of our missions convention for 2022, we are blessed to be, have, to be able to have a great missionary couple with us, uh, Mark and Linda Hausfeld. They've been involved in a number of different missions projects and still are. Uh, I was talking with Mark last night and he was at uh, the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary doing uh, some teaching at uh, the same time that I was there, uh, though I don't think I had the pleasure of being in any, any courses uh, while he was teaching, but uh, we have shared that connection. And uh, I'm going to not try to remember everything that they have done because I'm sure that they will share with you uh, some of those things. But they also want to bring a challenge to us this morning in terms of not only our giving, but in terms of the part that we play in reaching out to people in this region. I think that you're going to really enjoy what they have to share with us today. And so would you join me in giving a great big Bethany welcome to Mark and Linda Hausfeld. Thank you, Pastor. It's uh, wonderful to be here today and to share with you. I've heard much about this church, so it's finally just a joy for honor, for, and honor for Linda and me to be able to come here and to be able to share with you about primarily the Muslim world. And as I was looking at the map as to where Agamon was and saw the proximity to Springfield and then the proximity to the East Coast, Plymouth Rock, and several years ago, our son, who's a major in special operations in the Army, he ran the Boston Marathon, so we actually kind of followed him along, and then part of the time there, we went to Plymouth Rock. And as I began to look at more of the history of this area, I thought, well, this is really a state that is a history of being on mission. Because at Plymouth Rock, why did the Puritans come? Well, they came for religious freedom, but they also had a, in mind mission as well. They left England to be able to come to this country and to propagate the gospel. And then about an hour and 20 minutes away from here in Williamstown, on the grounds of Williamstown, Williamstown College, you have the Haystack Prayer Meeting, which in 1806 is seen to be the beginning of the American missionary movement. Think about that. So you're like right in the middle of where the Puritans landed in 1620, and this town was settled in 1635. Now, for a Midwesterner, where things are new at 1900, this kind of blows my mind. But then you have in 1806 the Haystack Prayer Meeting, which is the beginning of the American missionary movement. Think of yourself in a place and being a people that are on mission on mission. Let's go to that first slide. Because you are a people who are called out to be in mission in three distinct areas. Not just people that are called to go to Pakistan and we've served in Central Asia, we've church planted in these places, we church planted in the city of Chicago before we went to Pakistan. But all of us together, this is how the world is going to be reached. If we just leave it up to pastors and missionaries, this world is never going to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's why you, as much as us, need to be a people that are determined that we are on the mission of God. And I mentioned the pilgrims earlier, and it brought to mind a passage of scripture in Acts chapter 17, beginning at verse 24, because what were the pilgrims, besides people looking for religious freedom and to see the gospel propagated? They were immigrants. The Puritans from England were immigrants. And the Bible talks about immigration, and one of the reasons why I believe immigration is one of the greatest moves of God 
is so that the nations of the world can come into our nation, which is a place and a context of freedom. And we've served in places like Pakistan and Afghanistan and Kazakhstan, and believe me, there's not freedom to propagate the gospel. But there is freedom here. And to whom much is given, much is expected. As a matter of fact, this state is the bastion of freedom for the United States of America. I read a book about the American Revolution, just finished it a couple weeks ago, and wow, there's so much that happened in the Boston, the Massachusetts area. So here you are, you are at a place and you are a people that has that kind of history. But if we look at the scriptures where we get our theology for mission, we realize that the Lord tells us in his word why we are to think about people that are coming to our country differently. Now, Lynn and I have ministered, like she said, in much of the Muslim world, and to this day, we travel all over the world equipping and mobilizing the church to reach Muslim people. We're a part of Global Initiative Reaching Muslim Peoples, and Linda leads Say Hello, Serving Muslim Peoples, which is a part of Global Initiative. And so we travel the world ministering to the church and ministering to Muslims for them to be reached with the gospel. But at the same time, we see Muslims coming into our nation And I'm thankful that much of us are not having the fear that we used to have closer to the days of 9-11. We're beginning to see Muslim people as a mission field. Lynn and I, after we were picked up by pastor and after we met Andrea, we had the opportunity to get settled into our hotel room and then we went out to eat and we went to Taste of Lebanon. Pretty good Lebanese place to eat, owned by Shiite Muslims. And so we had a little bit of touch of Islam last night in our evening meal. But look at verse 17 with me, chapter 17, beginning at verse 24. And it simply says this, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. It does not live in temples made by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. Now listen to this, verse 26. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. That, my friends, is the theology for mission as to why God brings the unreached even into our midst. And you are in a unique place because of all the fabulous, renowned universities that are here, and that draws Muslims. Just like we experienced last night, the job opportunities to come and to be entrepreneurial and begin businesses. So here you are in the midst of a mission field. Let's look at some compelling numbers. Let's go to the next slide, if you would. And let me share with you some thoughts that I had when I was thinking back about the growth of Islam in the United States. But first I thought about our own movement, the Assemblies of God, of which this church is a part of. And so in 1965, there was a significant piece of legislation called the Johnson Immigration Act. And it slowed immigration from the nations that primarily most of us here were from, European nations, and it began to ramp up immigration from North Africa, the Middle East, India, and Southeast Asia, places like Malaysia, the dominant parts of the Islamic world. 
And I thought to myself, I wonder how many people were in the Assemblies of God overall as a nation, the United States in particular, in 1965. And I wonder how many Muslims were also there. Well, you can see on the screen before you that in 1965, approximately there were 565,000 members of the Assemblies of God. They didn't count adherents in those days. And the census data shows that in 1965, there were approximately 80 to 100,000 Muslims in America. So fast forward to the last census in 2020. In 2020, there were 3.3 million members and adherents of the Assemblies of God. But the census shows that in 2020, there are about 77 or a little bit more million Muslims in the United States. We've been more than doubled. Now, that's not a competition, but it just goes to show you the growth of Islam in America. And that's something that should not cause you or me fear. It should cause us to be burdened and to realize Acts 17, chapter 24, verses 27, is being fulfilled before us today and that we are called by God because they are moving here at this particular time to these particular places and we are called to engage them with the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's important. In 2026, Pew Research shows us that Islam in 2060 will surpass Christianity globally. Now, I'll be 102 in 2060, and we have been married a long time by that time as well. <laughs> and you may think to yourself, well, that's terrible, and start wringing your hands. No, don't be afraid. Read Revelation, we win in the end, remember? We win. The gospel is truth, but it should burden our hearts that the only way to bring transformation and change is for the church to arise. That means all of you, just like I met Tom this morning, and Tom was sharing with me about his Muslim friend from Jordan that he still witnesses to, and he continually witnesses to him. May all of this congregation become like a Tom and begin to see Muslims differently. Women reaching out to Muslim women, men reaching out to Muslim men. Why? Because Muslims are in your midst. Let's go to the next slide. So this is zip code 01001. So there's the church right in the heart of your zip code. And if you go out 30 miles from Agawam, from this zip code, you have 21 mosques. You have 29 Muslim-owned restaurants. We ate at one last night. You have one Muslim school, and you have five organizations, all MSA. What's that? Muslim Student Association. Just like we talked about this morning, the Chi Alpha Missionary to Harvard University, that's exactly what the Muslim Student Association is on a university campus. It represents the Muslims on campus, and it's also to give the best face of Islam to the population of whatever university campus they are a part of. Now, how many Assemblies of God churches are there? We count at approximately, approximately 11. So you see, 21 to 11, again, don't feel overwhelmed, but think opportunity. Here is the golden opportunity that you have. And we've come with materials on the table, all of them for free, and we want them all to disappear, including the book that my wife and I wrote, Silk Road Stories. Those materials will tell you how to engage and how to reach out to Muslim peoples with the gospel. Because they're in our midst and they're wondering why 
We don't invite them into our churches, such as at Christmas coming up, or a Thanksgiving service, or at Easter. Muslims wonder why Christians don't invite them into their holy place on their high holy days. They're wondering why. They're not to be feared whatsoever. They're not gonna blow up anything. They want the American dream like your ancestors and my ancestors wanted the American dream. That's why they're here. And so, we want to have you hear a story from a woman named Sarah from Kuwait. And hear her story about how she wondered the very thing that I just mentioned to you. And so let's play that video. Islam and the way of life is all I knew growing up. From a very young age, of the age of three, I started wearing the hijab. And from the age of 10, I started wearing the full covering where you only see the eyes. When I was eight years old, my family and I went for a pilgrimage to Saudi Arabia in Mecca. And suddenly, a big crowd started to gather. And my father and I got pushed to the front of this crowd. In the center of the circle was a woman. She was dressed in all black, completely covered. You could not see her face, her hands, or her feet. And next to her was the Arabic man. And he pulled out this very long golden sword from his side. And he beheaded the woman. I remember when I saw this beheading, it shook me up so much. My heart was going really fast and my legs were shaking. And I knew the reality of the religion I was raised in. When my family and I came to United States, we were just coming here for a visit. And while we were here visiting, war happened in my country and we could not go back home. But we had to stay in America and we were granted asylum. We had to work very hard to be able to live, but we were grateful to be here. I got my driver's license and I would drive by big buildings called churches. And I remember seeing the cross on all these buildings. And I often wondered, what is the meaning of the cross? What is the meaning of their faith? What do they believe in? But you know, for eight and a half years, no one shared their faith with me. My grandmother suddenly became very sick and went to the hospital and she had a massive heart attack and she passed away. I knew I was separated from my grandmother forever. I would never see her again. I was very sad and I became depressed and I could not function anymore. And it was at that point a lady at my work approached me. Her name was Paula. And she just put her arms around me and she gave me this hug. Peace just started coming over me from the top to my feet. And then she asked me a question. Would I like to go to her church with her one Sunday? And that was the first time after living in America for eight and a half years, I was invited to a Christian church. And when I walked into this Christian church, I was covered in my, in my covering, Islamic covering. But you know, the people in the church were very friendly to me. They came up to me and they looked me in the eyes and they said, hello, we are so glad you're here today. Thank you for coming. You are welcome in this place. Wow, the receptiveness I got from these people, I've never seen before. They just accepted me and loved me and did not judge me for my covering, but just embraced me for who I was. And there was something different about these people. They had a spirit of love that I've never seen before. So that day, the peace came over me again that came that day when Paula hugged me. And I knew the decision I was making was the truth. And I gave my life to follow Jesus as the Lord of my life. And I want to tell you, my life has changed from that day on. All you have to do is say hello. God will use your love and your spirit in the most powerful way. Have you ever seen a Muslim woman and wanted to reach out but felt fear over what to say? It might not be that you're afraid of her. Maybe you think she's afraid of you 
or that maybe you'll offend her somehow because your religions are so different. But there she is, at the grocery store, the mall, your kid's soccer game. She's your neighbor. Say hello can help you pair your love for Jesus with your Muslim neighbor. Every Muslim woman is one out of eight people in the world. There are one billion Muslim women, most of whom have never heard the truth about Jesus once. Christian women are every Muslim woman's best, if not only hope for heaven. That really is the heart behind what we do at Say Hello. We train globally to equip Jesus followers for the wonderful privilege of outreach to Muslim women. We offer resources and individual guidance as well as small group training. We provide materials that equip people who have never had experience with Muslims before. Bottom line is if you are a Christian woman who wants help knowing how to engage Muslim women, we're here for you. When we say hello to a Muslim woman, we embark on a remarkable journey that can lead scores of Muslim women to salvation encounters with Jesus. Please begin the conversation. Say hello. Beautiful story, isn't it? I wish you could all, I wish you could all know Sarah. She's an amazing woman. Mark and I started our life and mission together in the city of Chicago, and a year after we were there, we were going to plant a church in an urban neighborhood there. We moved into our neighborhood. There should be um, another slide up. We moved into our neighborhood. There you go, that's the neighborhood. Moved into our neighborhood, and I remember that the, one of the first things I noticed about that neighborhood was the Muslim woman that was in the front yard, and she was covered from head to toe. Now, I'm a daughter of missionaries. I grew up in the church, a daughter of missionary families. And on that day, I remember telling the Lord, Oh God, I'm so glad you didn't call me to them. And we were church planters. Well, one, one afternoon, I was in my, the backyard of that yellow house that you see on the screen right there, and I heard a voice calling over to me from the other side of the fence, and it was Layla. Linda! Linda! And on that day, she invited me into her kitchen and into her life. And of course, my husband wound up being part of that friendship because Layla had a husband. And our kids became part of that relationship because Layla and Othman had children as well. Those children wound up babysitting our children, a relationship that grew and grew. And you know, when the Lord called us to Pakistan, we could say yes because of that friendship that he had given us early on. I never thought that my that I never thought that Layla would have anything to do with my life going forward. But now that friendship is really that primary root place where we began our ministry, where we'd be able to say hello to the Lord for working in the Muslim world. Now it wakes us up in the morning and it puts us to sleep at night. Mark mentioned that we equip the church globally for outreach to Muslims, and I want to tell you a brief story about an experience in Papua New Guinea that we had not too long ago. Next slide, please. We were actually teaching at the Bible school in, um, in, in the capital city in Papua New Guinea, and uh, we had been there for two weeks. We were the team that you saw on the screen this morning, 
And we were teaching a class of 21 men and four women. We were teaching about how to reach Muslim women. Ironic, wasn't it? It was a wonderful two weeks. It's really important that we have the support of our husbands and our male leadership when we're talking about outreach to Muslim women because honestly, the gender piece, the modesty piece that requires that women minister, minister to women and men to men is a very real thing, not only in Pakistan or Afghanistan, but in Papua New Guinea and in Agawam here. So a quick story about this experience. On the Friday before we left, we took the class to the mosque. And this is us in the bus, right? So you see um, my team is there with one of the students. We all put on our veils and we went into the mosque. The women in every mosque are going to at least be separate from all of the men. So we were put behind a screen at the mosque. and. We immediately started chatting with the women who were in there, right? The women were chatting with us. The men were in the other part of the room. Before too long, the imam, who was on the other side of that sort of wooden windowed screen, um, spoke over it to us and said, sisters, you need to be quiet. <laughs> we we're having the khutbah here this morning. And um, it was kind of funny, but we were relating with the Muslim women behind that screen. Do you know, um, that day, a girl walked in and she sat next to um, my colleague, the one who is in the very front of the picture there. And she, she bent over and she asked her a question and she said, are you a Christian? And Lauren goes, yes. And she goes, I'm not a Muslim. Lauren goes, you're not. She goes, no, but I married a Muslim. And I'm pregnant. And now I'm scared because I know that my child is going to belong to my husband if I don't become a Muslim. And right there in Papua New Guinea, in the mosque, we were able to minister to her. There was also a woman who was struggling. Visibly, she had a broken arm. It was almost pulverized. I touched her arm, and it was hot, hot, hot to touch. And we were able to pray for that woman in the name of Jesus right there in the mosque in that now, that's far away. Let's go to the next slide. We told you that um, I am a missionary kid. I grew up in Latin America. I'm Latina at heart, I just have to say. And this is just recently, this was last year at this time, toward the end of COVID, I was able to teach a six-week course on outreach to Muslim women via Zoom. Now, you know, we travel everywhere to do the teaching that we do um, when we're not in the States. I mean, anywhere, anywhere in the world, that's where we go. I would have had to go to 18 countries to do what I did online last fall. So we're on our fifth week of teaching, and it's all in Spanish. And um, we realized that we had been hacked, right? So there was another Muslim girl who had come on, and she in turn had gone and posted a lot of what she saw. And you see the face of the woman who's blurred there. I mean, the names were out there, women who were working in sensitive places. It got kind of scary. She was posting things about them on other Islamic Facebook pages. So we were a little concerned until the woman who was in charge of the whole Zoom thing, the whole Zoom training in Panama, 
realized that this young Muslim world who had converted to Islam from Catholicism lived in her city. So she contacted her, and now they are relating one with the other. So you know, God has it all in control, and all we need to do is be faithful to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, because that's what our life is like when we're on mission. We might not always know what to expect or what's around the corner, but we can trust in God and the Holy Spirit who leads us. Next slide, please. So I'm going to bring you back now to my hometown, Springfield, Missouri. Mark and I, early on, when we got there, we adopted a student from the local university to be kind of, you know, her parental units away from home. And this young girl, Sarah, we'll call her Sarah too, um, she came from Lahore, Pakistan. Now, that was our home place, right? We lived in Islamabad. She lived in Lahore. Lahore. Um, so one morning we were at breakfast, and Sarah goes to me. She says, so Linda, are you going to church on Sunday? And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. She's going to ask me if she can come to church with me. And I'm thinking of all I knew about life in Pakistan and how upset her parents would be. And I thought about what she was going to feel like when she walked into my church and women were sitting next to men and people had their shoes on. And I was worried about the guys who were going to put their arms around their wives or their girlfriends. And I was going to worry about people having shoes on in church. And all these things just flooded my mind. And I'm thinking, no, no, Sarah, you can't come to church with me. I mean, this would be so wrong for you because because in Pakistan, we would never invite a Muslim into our church. I mean, it was against the law. And it was just way more complicated even there. But yeah, she did. She said, so can I come to church with you on Sunday? And she came in with me on Sunday. Of course, I wasn't going to say no. How many of you really believe what we sang about this morning? The presence of God is an open door. She sat next to me in that service, and when the worship happened, she clapped, and she sang. Do you know that a Muslim believes that you can't sing your worship? to Allah, because that could actually count as a bad deed on the, on the balance of the scales when you're judged for eternity, um, because you're only supposed to pray a certain way, right? And the singing that we were doing in church would actually be a bad thing. But when we walked out of the church, Sarah, underneath the carport, she says, Linda, I just, I really enjoyed singing those songs in there. I thought my insides would jump out. And later, on the, way, on the way to taking her back to university, she touched me on the elbow. And she says, Miss Linda, you know I understand. Do you think I could worship my God that way when I get back to Pakistan? And you know, at that point, I know, Sarah, you're a seeker. You can worship God that way when you get back to Pakistan. And we made sure she had a mini iPad and some stuff to worship with. You know, you can't get all enthralled into the, okay, but she's, is she going to worship Allah or is she going to worship the God that we serve and all that? God knows our hearts and the presence of his, his presence in the church that morning is what spoke to her and would continue to speak to her going forward. Let's move on. I've got a couple more stories to share with you. So this is my church in Springfield, Missouri, right? So there's this, you know, I'm, I'm there and and the say hello piece gets around, and there's this lady in our church who kind of caught it. Just say hello, just, just say hello to Muslims and strike up friendships, and that way you can reach them. So she and her two daughters 
would go to the mall at first and they would look for Muslims, grocery stores, look for Muslims. And first of all, they just wanted to find them. And then they would go back a few times and she said, okay, now we're going to pray for them. And after they got used to praying for them, then they decided, okay, today we're going to smile at them. Like we're going to connect, right, eye to eye. And these little girls did. I'll never forget the time Shelly told me, guess what Sydney did today? She had seen a Muslim out in public and she grabbed her mom's hand and very quietly she said, mom, I'm praying. Because our kids, our kids get to do this as well. I will tell you that the result of their deliberate decision to outreach to Muslims um, came from, started with prayer, and then they got courageous and they began to say hello to the Muslim women that they saw in those different places. Within a couple of years, Shelly had at least 10 female Muslim friends and all of their kids, they like, numbered about 40. She was kind of the Muslim magnet in our city for a while. And that happened in my what? Church. That, the city, they're from my church. And I want you to hear me say loudly how important it is that the local church be a part of this mission. I am who I am today because of local churches like you. When I was five years old, beginning with that year, local churches like yours supported my parents and support us now for missions. Who I am all my life, this has been the paradigm. People have given, right? Thank you for that. But now we're challenging you also to just step it a little further. You, you, you give, and you can go. God will call you, you go. Um, also, we're just asking you to be mindful of the Muslims that are in your presence. Let's move on to the next slide, please. I just wanted to give you a picture of what's happened in our church since Shelly got pretty active about outreach to Muslims. We had a conversation class that we opened up to a cohort of Muslim students at the university. So every other Thursday, they were in our church learning how to communicate, to speak English. And this was a night when we brought in one of the art teachers from the local university, and we did um, an, uh, a time where we learned how to do pottery. It's, you know, this went on right before COVID. This went on for, um, we had three different um, sort of cohort years. And not one Thursday night went by where we did not have spiritual conversations with these Saudi Muslims, where? In our church, because people from our church were reaching out. The next slide, please. Everything about Pakistan and everywhere we had been before was just taking on this wonderful God you are you you are how can i say you love muslims that much and guess what you love me that much too because i'm the one who gets to do this friends you can be the ones who get to do this too mark and i were speaking in a church one sunday and i got this text from my pastor i can't tell you it's just been a hallmark moment of my life he said I never thought I'd see this in my church because the Muslims that we were outreaching to in community were showing up in church on their own. Yeah, you can clap. I mean, that's awesome. Maybe there's some Muslims here today as well. We welcome you. 
this is a real hard place for me. The faces are blurred because um, this, is, this is a picture of an Afghan family that because of, because of the people's experience in my church where they saw, well, yeah, we could outreach to Muslims. They're getting braver, and their, um, their motivation is pure. And they, anyway, they decided that they wanted to help resettle an Afghan family in our city when all of the Afghans started coming, right? So this is our family. We have been working with this family since last November, last November. They came to us with absolutely nothing, with trauma that you can't imagine, and they, along with a number of other Afghan families, get to experience the presence of God that opens doors every single time we are with them. And let me tell you, we're with them a lot because they've needed a lot from us. They're tribal. They don't speak our language yet. They're working on it, but we are there. And Jesus in us speaks to them almost as loudly as we'll be able to speak when we have words, right? We long to be able to, to hear their hearts um, and, and be able to share uh, specifically about the love of Christ with them. But everything that we're doing right now is so very important. Can I tell you one more thing before I hush? I was with them last week, and I told them I was coming. I was going to be traveling, so, you know, I might not be around for a little while. And I said, he says, Yad, sorry, the, the husband, <laughs> um, asked me, so where are you going? And I said, Massachusetts. And he goes, Massachusetts, Massachusetts, Mass my cousin, Massachusetts. Friends, the cousin of this very family that we're ministering to in Springfield, Missouri, is within a two-mile radius of where this church is. So I leave them with you. With a heart that's very thankful to be here today, knowing that your heart for missions translates into your heart for Muslims in Egypt, in Pakistan, in the Sudan, and in Agawam. Let's go to the next slide, please. So, a survey was done, and in this survey, over 700 Muslims were asked, how and why did you come to faith in Jesus Christ? 700 Muslims from around the world. And here are the top five reasons given why they came to faith. Now, we would train missionaries to do these things, but guess what? You are all called you are all called, according to Acts 17, 24 through 27. This is a th theology of mission applies to you. You are called to do these things. So you ask, how do we do this, Mark? How do we do this, Linda? Follow through with these steps. First of all, the most given reason why Muslims converted, why they embraced Jesus as Savior and Lord, and why they left Islam is because of a relationship with a Christian your incarnate presence, your hands, your feet, your face matter. Women to women, 
men to men. So be like Tom. And build relationships with Muslim people in your community. Be intentional. Remember, the harvest is ready. The workers are few. So the problem isn't with the harvest. My mother's side of the family, all very successful farmers in Indiana. But unless they got in that field to harvest, the soybeans, the corn, the wheat would all rot. And so it's up to us. We, you, are the harvesters. The second most given reason was a Christian gave him a Bible. Call the International Bible Society. Go online. Find out what their first language is. If they're from Lebanon, it's probably going to be Arabic. If they're from Pakistan, it's probably going to be Urdu. If they're from Indonesia, it's going to be Bahasa. But find out what their first language is. What is the language that they dream in? And get them a Bible in their language and give it to them as a gift. Now, they may give you a Quran. It's a little shorter than the New Testament. Get it, read it. No demons are going to jump out of it and bite you. But here's the thing. You read their holy book. Then you go back to them and say, hey, I read the holy book you gave me. Did you read the holy book I gave you? <laughs> little leverage. I'm from Chicago. We're all about leverage. <laughs> and so, give them a Bible. The third most given reason was signs, wonders, and miracles. <clears throat> we got to pray for the sick today. We got to pray for our president today. I loved all of the above. We anointed with oil. Muslims believe in signs, wonders, and miracles, and Islam is a powerless religion, and Muslims are looking to be touched by God. So don't hesitate to pray with them for whatever need they have in their life. Be a conduit of the power of God. You may say, well, what if God doesn't answer prayer? Well, you can't answer prayer anyway. Only God can. But you can be a conduit of prayer and give God an opportunity to miraculously touch a Muslim's life or to give them a dream, which we've seen happen before. And so prayer in the name of Jesus. And then Muslims coming to understand that God is a God of love because the God of the Quran is a very transcendent, distant God that doesn't have personal relationship. But when they read this holy book, they see that God is intimate. He's caring. He's loving. He's forgiving. He's healing. And then lastly, never before in history as of today are Muslims disillusioned with Islam. And many of them in places like Iran and Iraq, they are either becoming Christians or they're becoming atheists and agnostics. And so we have this responsibility. Let's go to the last slide. We are called to fulfill those points I just gave you. All of you can do those five things I just shared with you and those experiences that Muslims are having in their heart because we're to be on mission. And so the way that we're on mission is really threefold. I just shared with you the first way. Follow through with Acts chapter 17, verses 24 through 27. Realize these Muslim immigrants that are coming into your zip code are people that God has brought here no matter your age, no matter your gender, no matter your socioeconomic status, it does not matter. It takes all of us to reach out and to engage them. Secondly, you can get involved. Now pick up the card, if you would, that you have in the pew next to you. Please pick up this card, this Faith Promise card. Linda and I can testify from over 30 years of experience now as Assemblies of God were missionaries. There is no better way to support missions than the way the Assemblies of God does it. Actually, other denominations are now doing what we're doing because of the success of it. We covet your prayers. First of all, become a person who participates in prayer for missionaries. 
and you're a praying church, that's obvious this morning. But the other way is giving of your dollars. And faith promises are fantastic because that's just what it is. You are believing God for whatever number he's going to lay within your heart. And when you get that number from God, not from pastor, or not from me, or any other missionary that's going to be here this week, but when God gives you that number, you write it in. Either you're going to give that on a weekly or a monthly basis. And then this is perforated here so that once you write that in here, you can put this in your Bible. I would say either put it in your Bible or on the refrigerator, whatever you open the most. Okay, all right, I'm glad you laughed, you got it. I like to put it on both. <laughs> and this is a reminder that you're trusting God for this amount. Pastor's not gonna ask you for it. Nobody's gonna call you up. You're just gonna put it in the offering plate each week or each month. That number, each week, each month, that God has given you, and that's all going to go towards supporting missionaries. This church doesn't take a percentage, and I can tell you this, the overhead of the Assembly of God Missions is 7%, which is astronomically low for administrative overhead, providing work that missionaries don't have to do. And then you will then fill out your name and your address and your amount that God's given you to share either weekly or monthly, and then you're gonna put this in the offering plate or drop it in a box, whatever pastor tells you to do. But remember, faith promises is what's helping missionaries, and there's no way to do it without dollars. No money, no missions. And so your participation in going and fulfilling Acts chapter 17, verses 24 through 27, you are emissaries of the gospel to Muslim people and all the lost. You're also to pray and to intercede, which you obviously do. And then lastly, you are to give. And God's going to bless you. The only place in the Bible God says, test me, is in the area of money. Really? Look it up. So test God and let him prove himself and show what he does. God bless you. Pastor, it's been an honor to be here on mission, go forward in Jesus' strong and mighty name. Thank you so much, Mark and Linda. You can go ahead and grab your, if you have put it down, grab your faith promise card, and we're going to take just a moment and pray over that. If you're with your spouse or your family, uh, maybe take their hand right now, and we're just going to go to the Lord and ask for his wisdom. You heard Mark describe a faith promise, and so this is something you ask God. Would you give us your wisdom? Would you give us the, the amount that you want us to give? And then you take on faith that he's going to provide that. And as Mark said, he described it perfectly. We're not going to call you next week and say, hey, we noticed that you didn't, you didn't do that. This is between you and God, but it does help us to understand how much can we say that we're going to support missionaries with this year and what are the projects that we can take on because we, we're believing with you as a congregation that if God's laying these things on our hearts that he's going to supply those needs and so would you just bow your head maybe with your spouse there with you or with your family and let's ask for God's grace and his wisdom this morning Heavenly Father we come before you we believe that you're the God who provides and, and we believe as we've sang this morning that your presence is here among us, that you're with us. And so with open hearts, Lord, we desire to hear what you would speak, what you would say. Father, we want to be faithful. We want to not only give, but we want to give as you direct. We not only want to give, but we want to give as you would lead us, Lord. And so, Father, right now, I pray that you just begin to speak to our hearts and lives and that you'd lay on our hearts what you would have us to give. 
We pray, Father, that we would not respond out of fear, but in faith. And Lord, that we would not respond out of question and doubt, but out of trust in you. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to be able to see that you are the God who provides. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for that. Father, we also want to ask this morning that you would help us to be a congregation that not only prays, not only gives, but also, Lord, that goes. We're not just sending teams to other places, but that we would be people who are going to the people around us. Especially, Father, we pray, as we've heard this morning, of the need in our own region. We confess, Lord, that sometimes we, we see people and we're afraid. We're afraid, Lord, sometimes of them, and we pray that you'd forgive us. Sometimes we're afraid of ourselves, Father. We, we fear that we don't have the words, that we're going to mess it up. We're afraid of our own inabilities. And we ask, Lord, that you would forgive us, that we are sometimes intimidated. We pray that instead of being timid and fearful, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would give us a, a renewed boldness, and that, Lord, you would enable us to be able to, uh, to speak to those around us who are in need of people to share with them the love of Christ. We pray, Father, that you would open those doors before us and that we would step through them. We pray, Father, that you'd help us to be bold in it, Lord, that when we see others, we would say hello to them, that we would minister to them. Father, we pray that we would see people coming to Christ as Savior, whether it would be from uh, the Muslim community or from other refugee communities that are coming into our region. And Lord, we pray that you'd give us the boldness as a congregation to speak words of life, of your grace, of your comfort, of your joy, and of your salvation to them. Father, fill us with your spirit to accomplish not only giving, but also going. We thank you for that, Lord. We bless you, and we believe you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, we believe. Amen. Amen. This morning we're going to do this this way. Um, we're going to have our, uh, our uh, box in the lobby that is ready for these. Next week we'll take them up and an offering at the end. And so if you, uh, if you feel like you need to pray some more, we will do this again next week. But if you already know what the Lord has laid on your heart, there's a box in the lobby. And as you go, slip that in there and we will, we will uh, count that up and we will be aware next week of where we're at so that we can encourage one another. We can also share where the need is still located so that we can be able to give this year as much as we've given in the past, hopefully, and more, because we want to see that grow and not decrease. I want to thank you for your faithfulness in giving and encourage you to trust the Holy Spirit as he leads. One last thing is this, that uh, on the table in the lobby, you heard Mark tell you that there are some resources. Those are all free. They've provided those to us for free. And so I encourage you to take those, especially if you've been sensing the Holy Spirit lay uh, Muslim people on your heart or you have a Muslim friend or neighbor take some of those resources to help you to understand how to share the gospel with them and then join us this evening at 6pm for our second Sunday at 6 prayer meeting where we're going to be praying for missions and regions of the world thank you for being with us this morning make sure you drop your faith promise as you go out otherwise we will see you tonight go in God's grace and in his peace